as we prepare to hear the word of the Lord this morning. Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, and the will to obey your word that I hear today in Yeshua's day. So today we are ending our four-week Passover series uh, entitled A Story of Deliverance. And through these last three weeks, Adonai has encouraged us that he is indeed the great deliverer. He told us to get ready. He told us that there is power in his blood. And last week, he encouraged us through Rabbi Michael's message that we need to continue to consecrate ourselves to a life of holiness. Our text for this series has been Shemot, Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 20. Today, I just want to read verses 14 and 17. So follow along here. This will be a day for you to remember and celebrate as a festival to Adonai from generation to generation. You are to celebrate it by a perpetual regulation. Verse 17 says, you are to observe the festival of Matzah, for on this very day I brought your divisions out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you are to observe this day from generation to generation by a perpetual regulation. So here we are commanded to remember or observe this holiday, this moed is the Hebrew word, uh, it's a little more than just a holiday, a chag, moed is a, an appointed season, uh, door la door from generation to generation. And so the title of this message is Mentoring the Next Generation. And this passage clearly tells us that we have an obligation to pass our faith on to the next generation. And I'm going to encourage us that this is not just something for parents here in this room or listening on the podcast. So don't tune out this message uh, if you're not a parent or if you're a parent here with no children. Because as a community, turn to your neighbor and say, as a community. As a community, it is our responsibility to make sure that the next generation gets it when it comes to our faith in the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, and in Yeshua. So whatever you and I need to do, listen to me, whatever we need to do to ensure that we do not lose a generation, hello? We do not lose a generation in the community of faith. We need to do that. It is your responsibility, and it is my responsibility. Every single person in this room has a responsibility to be a part of door to door generation to generation. I want us to look at the first part of Tehillim, Psalm 78, which ties into our passage in Shemot. A maskil of Asaf. Listen, my people, to my teaching. Turn your ears to the words from my mouth. I will speak to you in parables and explain mysteries from days of old, the things which we have heard and known and which our fathers told us. We will not hide from their descendants. We will tell the generation to come <clears throat> uh, the praises of Adonai and his strength, the wonders that he has performed. He raised up a testimony in Yaakov and established a Torah in Israel, he commanded our ancestors to make this known to their children. He's referring there to Shemot and other passages in the Torah. So that the next generation would know it, the children not yet born, 
who would themselves arise and tell their own children, who can then put their confidence in God, not forgiving God's deed, but obeying his mitzvot. Then they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn, rebellious generation, a generation with unprepared hearts, with spirits unfaithful to God. The people of Ephraim, though armed with bows and arrows, turned their backs on the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God and refused to live by his Torah. They forgot what he had done, his wonders which he had shown them. For he had done wonderful things in the presence of their ancestors in the land of Egypt and the region of Soan, again referring to the Passover story and the deliverance out of Egypt. He split the sea and made them pass through. He made the waters stand up like the wall. He also led them by day with a cloud and all night long with light from a fire. And if you continue to read the rest of this chapter, it's quite lengthy. It goes into all the details declaring what Adonai did and that great deliverance and how he led them through the wilderness to bring them to the promised land. And this deliverance took place through the Passover land. And again, connecting this passage to the story in Shimon, and it's why I chose this psalm as my main text for this morning's message. So what does this psalm encourage us to do as it relates to door to door or mentoring the next generation? The first thing it tells us to do is don't hide God and the truth of his word from our children. The Hebrew word there is lo nechached, and it means to keep something back purposely from someone or to refuse to make something known to them. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, why would the people of God intentionally not make known God to their children? Right, that's a good thought. Good question. Thank you, my husband. I thought it was a good question, too. It's like I'm scratching my head. Why? Thank you, Gary. Echo in the room. Why would someone who knows God not pass it on? to their children. And I began to think, you know, that because sometimes as adults, we think kids are too young. So we view the nursery, not me and not Adeline, but sometimes adults, the nursery as babysitting. I view it as door to door mentoring the next generation. Hello? And it made me think of this story of Yeshua and his disciples because they had a problem with children. Right? Listen, here in Mark, chapter 10. People were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the Talmudim rebuked these people. Hello? I could get on the soapbox here, I'm just telling you. <laughs> I will. I've had many, I shouldn't say many, I have had some discussed with me about children in service. At some of the conference we go, and other Rebbitson have been talking to me, and, and there have been children, and even at the women's retreat when we went, there were children sometimes that a mother would bring because they were younger, and, and I was asked about it, and I said, I will never ask a child to leave a service. Joel tells us to bring the children nursing on the mother's breast and the whole community. Why would I ever ask a child to leave a service when I'm told to bring them? But sometimes we get like these Talmudim. 
But what was Yeshua's perspective? When Yeshua saw it, he became indignant at the Talmudim. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Yes, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter in. And he took them in his arms. Can't you just see that? I would love to see the video of this. Yeshua took those kids into his arms. He laid his hands on them, and he said a baraka. He said a blessing over them. Saying to his Talmudim, you got it all wrong. You see, in the world that Yeshua lived in, children carried little value. One commentator, Craig Keener, actually, who is a friend of mine in Bible college, PhD, and he's written many, I think over 20-some books, a New Testament scholar. But he writes about this passage, children were loved but were socially powerless. The high infant mortality rate meant that they were physically powerless as well, with many dying before attaining maturity. So for the disciples who were eager to get on with the business of setting up the kingdom, remember that's what they were about, he's the Messiah, he's going to establish his kingdom. So to them, they had little time for people who did not have political power. So they dismissed the children. They're not going to help us accomplish the goal of establishing the kingdom of God now and setting you up as the Messiah. So they just wanted to dismiss and rebuke the parents for bringing them. But that was not Yeshua's heart. And it should not be our heart. We need to have Yeshua's perspective on children. You see, in order for our faith to be passed on to the next generation, we must fully embrace and accept them into our worship services. You often hear me speaking about the children and young people, about having a destiny in Yeshua, because I truly believe that. But their destiny is not relegated to when they become adults. Our children, our teens, our young adults have a vital role to play in this congregation and in the kingdom of God now. Now. Not when they become a magical age of adulthood, whatever the age that may be in your mind or my mind. Yeshua says the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And we have to develop that same heart of Yeshua towards them and value them in the same way he did. So don't hide the word from him, from them. Don't keep the truth of God's word. So what else are we called to do? Secondly, is to teach them to observe these permanent regulations. In our passage from Shemot, it said it twice in both, both, excuse me, in both verse 14 and 17. My tongue tied there. And the psalm reiterates this when it says, Hashem commanded our ancestors to make this known to their children. What is Asaph talking about? Again, he's talking about this passage in Shemot chapter 12 and many other similar passages, passages in the Torah where God encouraged the children of Israel to make sure that they passed it on to the next generation. So what does this involve? 
three things. First of all, celebrating the Mo'adim. That was the context of our passage in Shemot. To celebrate the feast of the Lord. Look at me. Holiday celebration. And again, it's more than a holiday uh, like a Chag, although we do say Chag Sameach on many of these holidays. When it, the word that is often used of these feasts of the Lord is the word Moed. And Moed is an appointed time that God has given on the calendar for us to observe and to, to commemorate and to celebrate something. Celebrating the Feast of Adonai is not archaic. Hello? Not archaic, and it's not optional. Not archaic and not optional. So through our children's ministries, be it the Olivet Nursery, our Dor La Dor Shabbat School, our uh, Esh Elohim teen, uh, teen group, we teach about the Moed Deen. So they've been learning about Passover downstairs today in Juni Shabbat. Because I wrote the lesson this week, they are learning about the Omer count and the holiday of Shavuot. So if you have a child downstairs this morning, they are being taught about being filled with the Ruach HaKodesh as took place in Acts chapter 2. So we teach and instruct them here at the synagogue. And as families, we need to continue the teachings that the children receive here at the synagogue by celebrating these feasts in our home or minimal, minimal attending the celebrations here at the congregation. It saddens my heart and my husband's heart, and I know we've talked about this with people over the years. I don't understand why a parent would not bring a child to celebrate the Feast of the Lord. I'm sorry, guys. I just don't get it. Their everlasting feast, we are told specifically in the context of the Moed to pass this on to the next generation. So why you would not bring your child to these Moedim throughout the year, okay, I don't understand. If you are called to be a part of a Messianic Jewish congregation, Jew or Gentile, you have an obligation. That's what Asaph is telling us. We have an obligation. That's what Shemot is telling us, to pass this on to the next generation, whether you're a parent or not. Parents, if you don't bring your children, how are they going to get it? In your home, it should be there as well, but minimal, at least come to the congregational celebration of these Moedim. I reiterate, they're not optional in God's eyes. They're permanent feasts to be celebrated from generation to generation. That's when, why when people often say, oh, those Jewish feasts. Okay, my husband and I almost without exception say, oh, you mean the Feast of the Lord? <laughs> because that's what they're called, the Feast of the Lord. And yes, Jewish people celebrate them, but it's okay to celebrate them if you're not Jewish, right? And there are many, many non-Jewish people who celebrated them in the biblical times because of the Gerim, the foreigners who were brought into the community of faith, and we were told that they were not to make any distinction between them, and we were told that they were to celebrate the feast in the same way that the native-born Jewish people were to celebrate. But they are a feast of the Lord, and they're permanent. And we need to 
pass it on to the next generation. So teaching them to observe means to celebrate the Moedim. Secondly is teaching them to be worshipers. And this is done through our example. Now, I don't mind whether you sit or stand in worship. I prefer to stand. You see that? Uh, uh, that's always been the way I have worshipped uh, for, for many, many years. Um, and I like to be at the front. And when I go somewhere else and I can't sit in the front, I feel very you know, confined. <laughs> so I try to make sure I get on the aisle, although my husband doesn't like that. But I like to scoot out so I have room so I'm so used to so much space. But worship, you don't have to stand to worship. I get that. But you need to engage yourself in worship. So we need to teach the next generation. But unfortunately, too many times, we're not worshiping ourselves. We're on our cell phones. How do I know? Because sometimes I've been up on the, the balcony and I see cell phones out. Not just kids, but grown-ups, just saying. During worship service. It's one thing if you have it out now because you're reading the scriptures. Right, that's what we're doing. Or we're out in the foyer chatting. I know I'm stepping on toes, sorry. Not really. And the reason why I say this is because this is important, because the next generation will not get it. You think all of a sudden your kid's going to be an adult and they're going to know how to worship and how to pray and how to read if you and I haven't taught them and passed it on? So they're watching you. So if worship is not important to you and they don't see you worship, it must not be important for me to do either. Parents, bring your children to worship. P.S., another one while I'm here on this roll. Get here on time. Most of you are on time Monday night because we said doors open at 6 and we started at 6.30 promptly and we did. Right? He's the king of kings, the lord of lords. He deserves our showing up on time. Just saying. It's freebie. (laughs) And even if you have no children here, you're an adult and you come here and your children are grown and and elsewhere, or you have no children, maybe you're an adult who has no child, you still need to model worship to those around you. Every child should be able to look at any adult in this congregation and see a lover of Yeshua a worshiper, and see it in your actions. And again, I'm not saying you have to stand to worship. I get it. Some people physically can't. No problem. You know, for three years, I was in a wheelchair and a full leg brace. I didn't stand up during that time, but I worshiped. Teach them to be worshipers. Through your example. The minute you walk in that door, the minute the team begins, you should be ready to engage. And you should be doing it at home. If you don't worship at home, it's hard to worship here. This is not really meant to be a heavy message. I I get how it can come across, but I'm just telling you lovingly, 
When you get to heaven, it says Revelation, that picture of the throne room. What are they doing? Night and day, day to night, your mom, Valila, they're falling before the king of kings, and they're crying out, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh are the knights of old. Holy, holy, holy are you the Lord God most high. What do you think we're going to be doing in heaven? Going to be worshiping him. We need to practice now. Vision of who he is. I encourage you to be a worshiper. Clap your hands. Move your feet. You can join Chris and I in the circle. I've said this before. We'll keep you going the right direction. (laughs) And Dan, make your joyful noise to the Lord and let the children around you see it. If I have a child sitting beside me, I make sure they stand up. I make sure they worship. I had a couple kids with me a few weeks ago because their parents were both involved in ministry. And beside me, I'm like, stand up. Let's go. Let's worship because... They're by me, and I'm going to encourage them to be a worshiper. How do we teach them the the pass it on? It's by teaching them to read the word, to pray, and to learn to hear God's voice. As I said, children don't all of a sudden become adults who know how to read and study the Bible and pray. It's something they learn. And because I'm actively involved in the children's and teens' ministry and very closely work with Adeline, I can tell you this is an area that we need to do better on as a congregation and as families. When there are questions that are asked downstairs, basic fundamental questions of faith or of the holidays, there are a lot of kids who don't know the answers. Friends, we have not done something Because I'm telling you, some of these things are basic questions of the word and of a life of a believer and of our Jewish lifestyle that they should know. My children learned at a very early age the importance of their personal prayer time and reading the word. To this day, my son has to get up early to catch a train in, so He might do his reading on the train, but they're going to have daily devotions. They miss a day or two here, but for the most part, they are consistent every day in the word and in praying. Why? Because they were taught that. Shmuel, Allah, 1 Samuel. We see the story of Samuel. Remember his mother, Hannah, prayed for a child, and when she had Shmuel, she dedicated him to the Lord and gave him to Eli, the man of God, to train him. So in chapter 3, it says, Now Shmuel didn't know Adonai. The word of Adonai had not yet been revealed to him. Curious again, as I'm reading this, and I thought, why? Well, perhaps... It was because Eli, who was his spiritual mentor, that's why Hannah gave Samuel to him, had not taken the time to teach him yet. Why? Maybe he thought he was too young. We're not told exactly, but all we know is that he did not yet know Adonai and could not discern the word of the Lord. Verse 8 and 9 continues the story. Adonai called Shmuel a third time, 
And he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. At last Eli realized it was Adonai calling the child. And now he instructs him, Go and lie down, and if you are called again, say, Speak, Adonai. Your servant is listening. Shmuel went and lay down in his place. And we know the story. God spoke to him, and he said, Here I am, Hineni. We need to teach our children to read and to pray. Whenever you have a child by you in a, a prayer meeting, teach them to pray. I love to watch my daughter, Abigail, because she'll take the little kids who are here, especially on Thursday afternoon, and whatever little group, okay, it's because it's often Adeline and Rena's kids. Okay, what are you going to pray, Jordan? You want to pray something? J.D., your turn. Why? Because it's part of training them to be a part of the community of faith. I've done that sometimes on Thursday night. If we have a large group of young people, I'll say, okay, come with me because he renews my youth like the eagle, and I'm young. So the young people come, and we pray together, and I do the same thing. Let's go around. Everyone has something that they can pray. What? Teaching them. The importance of prayer and encouraging them. And we, and we encourage that in, in, our, in our ministries here at the congregation. We have given our children tools to use, and I have written to parents encouraging you how to use those tools to help your child begin to develop a personal, daily habit of seeking God. With the youth group this year, I text them almost every day. This is the chapter we're reading. We're reading through Acts. We're almost done with it trying to help them to get in a habit of being in the word and praying because that's door to door. That's generation to generation. That's my responsibility. That's your responsibility. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's your responsibility. And then when we read in Tehillim 78, it gives us two results of instructing the next generation. The first is that they will know the truth and they will pass it on. They will know the truth and pass it on. You see, I'm one of those next generations. My parents came to faith when I was about six years old, the same time that I came to faith, and they took me to that congregation. I've told my story many times. We just moved into the house that I grew up in, and literally around the block was a congregation and I walked there almost every week. Uh, and my parents did drive the car, but <laughs> most of the kids, we just would walk up and walk home. And my parents made sure I was there, and they made sure I was participating. I had two places I could sit, either by my parents, so they could keep an eye on me, or in the front, so the spiritual leader would keep an eye on me. Spiritual leader had no problem calling me out. Yeah, I got called out once in service. Because I wasn't sitting by my parents or in the front. I was sitting on this side by a woman who was, uh, you know, spiritual mental, but she had given me a book. I'm a, a reader. And it was a believing book about someone who smuggled books in, but I started reading it in service, and I'm so engrossed that this is me. So the spiritual leader works me into their message, <laughs> like that girl reading the book right there in service. So uh, I did hear it afterwards from my parents. Um, 
but my ex the expectation of my parents was that I would participate. So when I sat beside them, they made sure I participated. Sitting in the front was to make sure that I participated. When I sat over there and that person didn't watch me, I didn't participate. I started reading the book and I was corrected afterwards. Why? Because they wanted me to grow in my faith so that I could pass it on to the next generation. What my parents have passed on to me, I now pass on to my children. And my prayer is that they will pass it on to the next generation. You see that's what has happened, right? As we go from one generation to the next generation. And the second result of, of mentoring, it says the next genera generation will have confidence in who they are. And I'm going to tell you that our young people need confidence in the world that we live in today. And they will put their trust in God and they will walk in obedience to him. That's the result of mentoring the next generation. I know that I know, and I've shared this many times, I know that I know that I know who I am because I was mentored in a congregation by my parents and by leaders and teachers who trained me and encouraged me that as a child I could hear God and that I could be a part of the service. We had services sometimes every night of the week, and the, the children were a part of those services, I'm just telling you. We were part, we were expected to participate, we were expected that God would minister to us just like he ministered to the grown-ups. Friends, we need to expect more of our children spiritually, and we need to train them. Because I did come to faith at six years old, I can tell you that, that I had so very real experiences with the God of the universe as a child. And those formative years laid an important foundation that has sustained me through these many, many years. And as I said, one of the keys is I had parents who expected me to be part of the community of faith. God will use children in a powerful way. Think about it in the, in the scriptures. It was a little boy who brought his lunch to hang out and listen to Yeshua. And Yeshua took that lunch and turned it into food to feed 5,000 people. I was a little boy who was an instrument in the miracle that God took, that God performed. Josiah became king of Israel at eight years old. 17-year-old David killed Goliath. Daniel and his three friends might have been only eight years old when they defied the king's order to eat the king's food. Did you see the pattern there in the scriptures? Children are not too young to be a part of the community of faith and to experience God in a very real way. There's so many stories I could tell you personally and that I've heard that demonstrate how God speaks and sees children. I just want to share a couple of them as we prepare to close our message. This writer was writing about a young boy na named David. He said, I was told of a five-year-old boy named David. David's parents had adopted him after having given up hope of having their own children, something they both wanted very badly. Knowing this, David continually brought up the matter as a prayer request in his class. He attended a believing school uh, where he was being taught to pray. He asked that they would pray that his mother would get pregnant. The teacher brought this to the attention of David's mother, who happened to be the nurse at that school. 
and she asked her husband to have a talk with David. His response to her was, let alone so he could learn that sometimes God says no. Well, within the year, she became pregnant. And after her first baby, she was soon pregnant again. So this time, she sits down to have a talk with him about all the praying, and he looked up her and said, Mom, you shouldn't be surprised. I asked for four children. (laughs) The writer says the last he heard, there was only two. But this little boy prayed, and God heard. I've told this story before here about Abigail. One day, she wanted to go riding bikes, but it was raining. And I can see it. She says, well, let's just pray that the rain goes. Well, I looked at the weather app, right? It was, the rain was going to be around for a while. I'm like, okay, Abigail. I'm thinking, like, ain't going to happen. We prayed, and guess what? The sun came out. I think God delights in answering the prayers of children because of their childlike faith. They just believe that he's going to answer them. And that's why God tells us to come to him as children, because they have that faith. Here's another story I read entitled, In China, Even Three-Year-Olds Experience the Power of God. So the story goes that the Religious Affairs Bureau of China permits believers to meet only in state-sanctioned congregations. We know this to be true because my student, who's a scientist in California, and she came to visit about a month ago, a little longer, and we were talking with her, and Tim and Yang were there with us at lunch, and she talked about how that's the exact state there in China. You have to go to these official state Uh, sanctioned congregations, otherwise it's all underground. And um, so it forbids members to evangelize, to talk about healing, or to minister to anyone under the age of 18. But this hasn't stopped the believers in the underground uh, congregation movement from teaching children and youth. In fact, the Holy Spirit is using teenagers and even children as young as three, the article said, to reach multitudes in the world's most populous nation. So leaders of a particular underground network told Uh, It was Charisma Magazine who wrote this article about a three-year-old boy living on China's east coast who had an unusual healing anointing. The little boy's grandmother would carry him from house to house and ask him to lay his hands on the sick and pray for them. Many people were healed in this simple door-to-door ministry. And recognizing God's hand on this little child, the family is faithful to take him door-to-door. I know when we attended Brownsville Revival, we heard so many similar stories of the power of God on children. There in Brownsville, uh, there was a connection with the Argentinian Revival, and we heard story after story of children being used powerfully in intercession and to pray for others. Friends, we should not push children away from our public services and our holiday celebrations. We need to welcome them with open arms. Yes, we have ministries set up for the children, ministries that I think are awesome ministries, our Aleph Bet Nursery, our Dor Lador Shabbat School, our Esh Elohim Teen uh, Group, but God doesn't wait until they get to that class, hello, do you hear me, to speak to them or to reveal himself. While they're here in worship, before they go to class, God wants them to encounter him. 
So in our worship service, in our prayer meeting this afternoon or on Thursday night, and yes, even in the Wednesday night Bible study, <gasps> I'm going to bring my child to Bible study? What are they going to learn? It's too much for them. No, no, no. God can speak and communicate to them. God is looking for children to participate and to take their place in the community of faith as children. God is not waiting for them to get all grown up like some of us are. Now I want to pause before I conclude and just speak because I know there are some in this room and perhaps listening on the podcast who are living with wayward children, the prodigals who have walked away from Adonai, even after you instructed them in this truth. And I want to encourage you that this message is not meant to bring despair or condemnation to you. And I want to share a story that we have shared in the past to encourage you not to give up on your prodigal. And the story is the story of Pastor Simbola from Brooklyn Tabernacle. I found this story again as I was looking up, you know, uh, through some articles this week. And his daughter was 23 years old at the time. Her name was Chrissy, and she had walked away from God. She had a baby outside of uh, marriage, and she was living a life that was the opposite of what her parents taught her. She had gotten involved with someone who did not know the ways of God. So listen to this article that describes what took place. It was 26 years ago, and he came to their weekly prayer meeting, which was on Tuesday night. And he said this, our daughter Chrissy is really away from God. Everything about her and what she is to be is now upside down. We have done everything we can. There's only one answer, and we need to pray. Someone came to him that night and gave him a little note that said, tonight is Chrissy's night. And that's when he opened up and shared with them. There were 1,700 people gathered in that building for a prayer meeting. It's one of their largest attendant meetings. And I'm grateful for our prayer meeting on Thursday growing and encourage you to come out. It was good to see everyone who came this past Thursday. And uh, so the article continues. That night at their prayer meeting, um, this is his his daughter, whose last name is now Toledo, uh, says was very oppressive. A family friend had taken her and her baby in and went to the prayer meeting, and she just wanted to sleep. Chrissy was unaware that hundreds of people were crying out to God on her behalf, and she climbed into bed. Unable to sleep, she saw a menacing pitch-black figure appear in the darkened room, and she heard it claim her life and that of her little baby, Susie. But the members of the uh, congregation continued laboring in prayer. A cloud-like entity radiating brilliant light became visible and vanquished the evil one disappearing along with it, she says. Feeling inexplicable peace, Chrissy fell asleep. By the next morning, everything had changed. She asked the woman that she was with to pray with her. She repented of her sins and sought God's help, and she raced to her parents' home and asked for their forgiveness and introduced them for the first time to their granddaughter. She and her husband now lead an Assembly of God congregation in the city of Chicago. I share this story to encourage you to never give up on your prodigals who may be in your life and to understand that their choice is not on you and that the best thing you can do now is to intercede and pray for them that they would come back to God and fulfill their destiny in him. 
door-to-door, generation-to-generation is an important responsibility that we have as a community. I want to close with a couple of other points. Our denominational children's ministry website listed these eight goals that each congregation should have for their children's ministry, indicating that by the time a child leaves, they should be solid in all eight of these. Just going over this, this relates to what I just said. It really sums up my message in a nutshell. They should be powerful in prayer, responsive in worship. Your child should be engaged in worship. I know it takes work, you know, and I know you want to worship, you know, because I was there. I mean, my kids are 20 and 23. Gosh, can you believe it, right? Uh, but at one point, they weren't, and I had them beside me in worship. And yeah, it was me because my husband was on the platform, so it was my job to be the one who constantly stand up and worship. And that's what we have to do to get them to be engaged in worship. If I knelt down, I pulled them up beside me and knelt them down with me. I have a picture from Sayville of my son and I kneeling right at the front because if I knelt down in worship, I pulled them beside me whatever we have to do to engage them, that they would be responsive in worship. That's our job. That they would be spirit-empowered. You know, we're counting the Omer up to Shavuot. If you didn't take a calendar home last week, grab it. Grab one for your kids. Count towards Shavuot. Talk about the Ruach. If your kid was downstairs in Junior Shabbat, they got a lesson about it. Talk about it to them. Tell them that God wants to fill them with the Ruach HaKodesh, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and to empower them now as a child. That they should be biblically fluent, teach them the truths of the Bible, actively serving, bold in faith, giving selfishly, and living like the Messiah. Those are the eight things our children should learn from our ministries here, but it has to be reinforced at home. You have to reinforce these things. How can my child serve? I see some of the kids around here. Their parents say, oh, pick that up. That's serving, a piece of trash. That's helping them to to, to learn to serve. For this to happen, these eight things, they encourage that we as a congregation do the following three things, which is our application of this message. It's called discipleship to live our, our, our lives as an example. Make faith contagious. That's to model it. Your children should hunger and desire for Yeshua because they see it in you. You know, I know that the teens might get annoyed at me. As I tell them, I beg them, please respond to my text. <laughs> but I have a passion. I want to take what is in me, and I want so bad to just put it inside of them I can't do that, but I can model it, and I can text them, and I can bug them (laughs) and encourage them because I want them to know God like I know them. And so I will model. That's why they see me up here worshiping. That's what I say to them. Come to the front and join me. Dan and Carol sit on the front because, like me, their parents (laughs) The other teens haven't quite made it to the front yet. Model. Make faith contagious. Second thing is to encourage the next generation. Build a confidence that echoes into the future. That's mentoring them. We all have these responsibilities. It's how we can apply this message. 
My children are young adults now, but I can tell you there are so many of you who encourage my kids in such powerful ways. You speak to them and you encourage them. You are mentoring them alongside of me. And I am grateful for this community who takes the time to hear my kids and to hear the concerns on their heart and to pray with them and to encourage them. And third thing is to anchor faith in the word of God, stand courageously on the promises of God, give them the message of the word. They don't need to hear the message of the world, which is blaring loud and clear. It needs to be confronted with the truth of the word, and you and I have that responsibility. Friends, door to door, generation to generation, it's my responsibility, it's your responsibility. These three things summarize how to apply this message. Let us model, let us mentor, and let us give the message boldly to the next generation. Let's stand to our feet. Amen. I'm going to close with the Iranic benediction. And I encourage you, we have a prayer this afternoon from 2 to 3, Hebrew from 3 to 4. And don't forget our Yom HaShoah commemoration this Wednesday. And uh, you can take the quarterly calendar outside, which will help you to see what else is happening. We have a couple other things coming up here in the month of May, so you want to be a part of that. Yevarechecha Adonai v'yishmerecha, may Adonai bless you and keep you. Yair Adonai panavelecha v'chunecha, may Adonai make his face shine on you and show you his favor. Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasim lecha shalom, may Adonai lift up his face towards you and give you peace. May you walk in the peace of God Almighty, and may the joy of the Lord be your strength. May we all seek to mentor the next generation. B'shem Yeshua, amen. I'm going to call my team up if you uh, want prayer. We're going to be available as Rabbi Michael uh, and the worship team minister. Shabbat Shalom. Oh, who told